This is Pastor Angela, and I just wanted to drop in and welcome you to Relate's podcast. I know that you're going to be filled with faith and encouraged for your week. We love you, and we're praying for you. I want to jump right in, really, to the series. Uh, first week of, a, of, of what will be a five-week series, because we have a, a, a mission Sunday right in the middle. I've got a couple of guests I want to introduce you guys to. Uh, so it looks like we'll have a different guest in each service. Three weeks from now, but uh, four four messages specifically on I'm in, and uh, this this particular series is a little different than what we're used to. We not too long ago we did Running with the Giants, where we talked through some of the the people that we see in the Bible, three men and three women, and, and discussed biblical character and trusting God and walking by faith and like those kinds of things. How to how to live the life that God's called us to and He created us for. Those are exciting things. Um, then we did At the Movies, and that whole series for five weeks was built around, let's like connect with people who don't usually go to church. Let's invite people who have never been to church before. We saw so many, some of you guys came to that for the very first time. And it, it has been a blast doing those things. Last, the last series we just went through was, uh, you asked for it, so we answered questions that you guys wrote down at Easter and uh, built the, the messages around those surveys, and that, that was a blast. This particular series is really about who we are in God, about our identity and about the kind of the core values of us as Christians. And so I think it is super relevant to us. I, I hope that you'll plan to be at as many as possible so that we can dive right in, not to mention the fact that we get to uh, enjoy the, the cold weather together. And uh, some of you guys have been lighting fires in your fireplaces, and that's that's always a uh, just a heartfelt moment, right? So we get to have some of that a little bit too. So this particular message this morning is I'm, every single one of the four messages will be I'm in, or this today will be I'm invited. I'm invited. Next week, we'll go to I'm invaluable, really to God's work, who we are, what we're made for. I'm influential for God's glory. And finally, I'm invested in God's church. And this is, uh, it's, a, it's a lot to do with the, the little video we just watched where the the charcoal is moved from outside the fire, and the closer it gets to the flame, it lights up again. And our faith works that way too, with with our proximity to other believers and our proximity to the presence of God, and how close we are to what God's doing. It kind of reignites our flame. That's my desire for every person in this room: is that we get reignited with a passion. If we have never been ignited, if we if we don't know God, then you need to get close to God. If you feel like you're far from God. There's no reason to feel like you're far from God. God invites us to be near Him. And really, that's that's a core part of how God treats us. And His desire for us is to be near Him. It's to not be cast out or outcast or unwanted or judged, which I'll just start off by saying a lot of times that, that's been the calling card of church. Judgmental, uh, we're looking down on you. That shouldn't... That, that's not at all God's heart for people, and yet somehow as Christians, we've become this exclusive group of God did it for us, and now, hey, us poor, no more. We don't need anybody else. <laughs> we love circles, right? We, we talk about this all the time, that life works better in circles. It, it works better in circles than it does in rows. 
Healing happens in circles, in community, in family. Healing happens. Freedom happens. But the problem with circles is that when you get in a circle, everybody's pointed in. And so we, we kind of forget about what's on the outside and the, the, the catch-22 of being a Christian or walking by faith and becoming a family, a family member in God's family is that we can't form a circle that no one else can get into. We have to keep inviting and keep having that heart for God. But what's worse than whenever we feel like we've been left out? Or you, you figure out that your friend group or your family has all done something and left you out. That's like the worst heartbreaking feeling. Like, man, they didn't want me there or what? Or maybe you walked up on a conversation and everybody's talking busily. And the moment you step up to the conversation, it just stops. Maybe they were talking about you. You don't know. I'll never forget a time that Angela and I were guests. I was invited to speak at a church, and we showed up early. I knew a few of the people there, and one of the ladies came up to me excited to tell me, Pastor Sean, I, I can't wait to introduce you to my daughter. She doesn't come to church, but I, I begged her to come, and she, you know, she reluctantly said, let's pray that she gets saved, and let's pray that God, she gets to know God. And like She had such hope for her daughter, her adult daughter. And Later, I saw her daughter come in with her, and she just beaming. Mom was beaming, and yet within just a few minutes, some of the other people in the church, some of the uh, the standards of the church, the, the people who had been there for a long time, they didn't waste any time in letting me know, you know, that girl over there, they just proceeded to kind of highlight the mess of her life. You know, she should not be here. Like, in other words, you wouldn't believe what she's done. She keeps doing things that are, like I said, I just stopped that. I don't need to know any of that. Do we believe that God loves her? Of course. And yet somehow we create this barrier between what God wants for her and what we want for her. So Angela and I, just like above and beyond, tried to connect with this girl, but it was really obvious that she was there for her mom, and she knew how everybody else thought about her, and the damage was done. And so she didn't have any interest in making connection or getting to know the church or God or none of that matter. She just tried to do something good for her mom. And while that seems like a, a heartbreaking story, the truth is it happens all the time. The truth is it happens like over and over and over inside the church, outside the church. We've drawn all these lines of like, look at you. Like, who are you? Who am I? Like, we, we care so much about what people think about us that we have to build ourselves up and tear other people down. In our story today, it's easy to, to relate to not only the, the, the verse that we're going to look at, but also the young girl, that the uh, adult daughter that I, that I just told you about. And in, in, we've all been in those situations where we felt unwanted or unloved or undesirable or unwelcome, right? We can all think of a time when someone made us feel that way. Sometimes we think, well, maybe it was, maybe it was, just, or maybe it was unjust, or maybe it's because of a decision I made, and so, yeah, I guess that's fair. But the truth is, none of us deserve God's love. The truth is that none of us has earned and done enough for God to love us, and yet he loved us anyway. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. You should have got notes on your way in today. Jesus invites the people others reject. <laughs> we are really good at rejecting people, but Jesus he did the exact opposite. He invited people. He said, come. 
He showed us something that is the opposite of what the church is known for today in a lot of ways. So I will just tell you this off the top. If you've been going to church for any length of time, we have a job to do to overcome the, the work that the church has done before us in being judgmental, making people feel unwanted, making feel people unwelcome and unloved, untouchable. We have to go above and beyond and try and love people the way that God loved them. And maybe you're sitting in the room today and feeling like, yeah, I've been treated that way. I wanna, I'll just tell you right now, I apologize that anyone made you feel that way. The good thing is that we get to, together, we get to make a difference and we get to start again and try to do things the way that God wanted us to do them. I want us to start in Luke chapter 7. And I want to kind of paint a picture before, you, before we jump right into the verse, but a couple thousand years ago, Jesus walked the earth and he was telling stories and doing miracles and proclaiming the goodness of, a, of God that was different in, in a way that people had never seen before. In fact, most people looking around, I, I can imagine that they would think, well, I don't know if this guy is the Son of God. I don't know if he is telling the truth, if what he's saying is real, because the difference between him and the quote-unquote church people or the religious people of the time were so vast, such a harsh contrast between the pious, uh, holier-than-thou, religious Pharisees who walked around in robes and tassels. And in fact, they had so many laws that they had to abide by. Not only did they not want to be around you, they, they weren't allowed to be around you if you were a sinner. If you had done something unclean, if you had done something wrong or broken any of the laws of the Bible, hundreds of laws. If you had eaten the wrong thing, then, oh, I can't be around you. They weren't allowed to touch someone who was a sinner. And so there was a harsh line between everyone who was holy and everybody else. And so for Jesus to come along and hang out with sinners and tax collectors and people who everybody thought was unclean, how can this guy be the Son of God? How can this guy be the Messiah? And yet some people started to believe it. The difference between the Pharisees, the religious, and then Jesus who really flipped everything upside down. And so one day, one of the Pharisees named Simon, one of the religious guys, decided to throw a party, a religious party. And parties in those days were not like parties these days. Like we throw a party and relate to everybody. We pull out the, the barbecue, we start grilling and making chili and turn on the music and we, we, we figure out how to have a good time. In those days, it wasn't that way. It, it, it was... The, the church parties were not hamburgers and hot dogs and maybe inviting the newest Jewish rap artist to come and perform. Maybe it was Kanye Shua. I don't know. What to say. Took me a long time to think of that, so y'all should have laughed a little bit harder than That wasn't the party, right? So they would actually come together in a house. And all the, the religious leaders would get together in, the, in the, the front room of the house and they would open the door so that as they were talking about social and church issues and uh, political issues and all the, all the stuff of the day, like all the relevant things that people couldn't just turn on Netflix or turn on the news or they didn't, they didn't just pop in the car and go to the movies. They, this was it, guys. They would go and listen to their leaders 
Talk about what was important. Talk about God. Talk about how they should live. Talk about the, the scriptures. Talk about the current events. And so the religious leaders would get together in the house and then open the door so that everyone on the porch and all the people would be able to hear them and their eloquent speeches on what God wanted for them and holiness and righteousness and God's plan for men and women. And so Jesus was invited to this party, and I'm not sure if it was in an effort to, so often they, they were trying to trick Jesus, or if they were jealous and if they were upset, they were trying to put him into a place where they could look better than him, and everyone else could see that he was a fraud, or that he was nothing compared with how holy and how uh, godly the Pharisees were. And so that starts to unfold, and that's where our scripture jumps in. That's where we pick up with the story, but something incredibly shocking happens at this party, and everyone's there to witness it. I imagine that it's most of the community. So all the community leaders there in the city and all the people had come to hear what was going on, especially since Jesus would be there, but something crazy happens, and that's where we pick up with Luke chapter 7, verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I'll just stop and say this, that those words that she was uh, in that town who lived a sinful life, that's like code words, or that's letting everyone know that not only was she living a sinful life, but she was a prostitute. She had, she had lived a life that was unholy. She was looked down upon. It was a degrading thing. And so she wasn't like even the people who weren't religious. There was a religious leaders, and then there was like all the ordinary people, and then way down there was the, was the, the prostitute or the, the call girl. So she had a scarlet letter or a stigma about her and was unwanted and undesirable, untouchable. And yet what begins to unfold at this meeting is really incredible. I can imagine the outrage and the shock of the Pharisees that she comes into the house with this perfume and they're not even supposed to be in the same room with her, much less touching her, and there Jesus is letting her wash his feet, as we'll see as the scripture unfolds. And we can, we don't get her whole story. The Bible doesn't lay out who she is and what she's done and how she got there, but I can imagine like so often happens for none of us ever decide, you know what, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. You know what, whenever I grow up, I want to live a sinful life. That, that's usually not part of the conversation. Usually we find ourselves because of either bad decisions or things that have happened to us, circumstances that we can or can't control, we end up in a place where like, I never wanted this to be my life. I never planned for this. Whether it was a life of prostitution or whether it's a life, any other life, fill in the blank. So many things that we find ourselves in that this is not where I wanted to be. And I can only imagine for her, it was the same. I don't know how she found herself in that profession. I don't know how she found herself in that life. We can, we can guess maybe her dad didn't protect her or maybe he abused her. Maybe she had younger siblings that she had to take care of and mom and dad died or disappeared or who knows what happened. Maybe, maybe she did what she had to do for the reasons that she had to do them. 
Maybe she had a boyfriend, and the boyfriend pressured her into a relationship where she did things she didn't really want to do, and all of a sudden she's pregnant, and un, uh, she can't get a job. She can't earn money to take care of her baby. She can't, all of a sudden, the boyfriend's gone. Who knows? All that's speculation, but it, it, it happens, right? And those may, in those days, it may have looked a little different. But life happens. And all of a sudden, we're standing in a place that we never intended to be in. That place and that the things that we've done mark us and make people look at us a certain way. Like they did for our friend as she came to church with her mom. She knew how people had looked at her. She knew that people looked down on her, that she wasn't welcome there. I can imagine that this woman showing up at the house where Jesus and the Pharisees are having conversation and talking and having a party. I can only imagine the looks that she must have got. And so in one moment, she does a couple of different things. She kneels down. As she gets to Jesus' feet, she kneels down in this posture of worship. It says that she takes the, the perfume and she breaks it. She pours it on his feet and she begins to weep. And she begins to cry and actually dry his feet with her hair. And in one moment, she not only gives this extravagant act of worship, but she is also has this symbol of repentance. Because this bottle of perfume represents probably a year, they say, scholars, those who know, say that that one bottle of perfume probably took her a year's wages to buy. But that one bottle of perfume was also representing not just one year of her work, but it also represented, that's like her calling card, her business card, right? So that was her smell, her scent. It was like her advertisement for, for her job. And so in that moment, not only was she worshiping and, and pouring out her love, but also she's, she's turning around saying, I'm giving up all of this. And so in verse 38, we pick back up as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. This is a moment that, have you ever been in that place where you're so either ashamed and broken that you just can't stop crying. It's like it's pouring out of you and she has found something amazing and she's not letting go of it. And despite all of the onlookers, despite all the people she had to walk past on the porch to get in the house, she does all of those things. And by the way, in that awkward moment, had to have been awkward with all of the religious leaders screaming. Not only was she doing something that they said was inappropriate, just being there in the room. In those days, like my wife this morning asked me on the way to getting ready for church. She said, how's my hair? And she said, I'm trying something new. I'm doing something. What do you think? And I said, the only answer that's even possible to give is, looks amazing, babe. <laughs> Guys, there's only one answer. So just... Although I never lie, right? You're beautiful. But in those days, the, the Jewish women, they couldn't pull their hair down. They left it up. It was it was wrong for them to bring their hair down. So in public, she pulls her hairs down and she starts wiping his feet with her hair. What an extravagant 
moment of worship. Verse 39, when the Pharisees who had in when the Pharisees who the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she's a sinner. <laughs> That's exactly what, what, what I've been talking about, right? Like this person is unworthy. And it's, he, he doesn't come right out and say it to Jesus. Like he's thinking, if this guy thinks that he's the Messiah or the Son of God, that's not even possible, or else he would know about this woman. And yet Jesus almost reading, it's like Jesus reads his mind and says in verse 44, then Jesus turned to the woman and Simon and said, Do you see this woman? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. He does something for her that they can't imagine what happened. But my question is this. Why did she go all, through all the effort to go past the people on the porch and everybody who would look down on her and the religious leaders and make her way in there to Jesus? What was she expecting? What did, what did she think would happen? What prompted her to do that? And so we don't get the answers in Luke. But what happens is we can look at Matthew at a parallel verse that the same story told in Matthew. And for those of you who are just learning your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four chapters of the New Testament, all tell the same story, the life of Jesus. And like so often, there are stories that each of them tells the same story in a different way or a different perspective. And this happens to be one of those where Matthew and Luke both tell the same story from a different perspective. But Matthew gives us more details that earlier on in the day, there's a good chance in the same city Jesus is preaching. There's a good chance she may have heard him preaching. She may have heard the message that he was preaching in the same city, and that message, that she, the, the, the words that Jesus proclaimed in the city that day are actually in the book of Matthew. And so we're going to read them, but I want you to, to think about this. This may be the reason why she went through all of that shame and all of that people, all of those people looking down on her to actually venture into that house because something was something so valuable to her was in there and what Jesus was preaching on was the fact that my father sent me to tell you that he loves you and that all can come in fact we'll read it Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and, I'll, and you will find rest for your souls. And so the same thing, the same message that Jesus preaches should be the cry of the church that God wants you to come. That you're invited, no matter where you've been, no matter what, what kind of shameful life you've lived, or things that have been dumped on you, or the decisions you've made, whether you feel like it's just or unjust. God's saying, Come. When Jesus meets the disciples uh, at the seashore, or even whenever he meets the disciples at the river with John the Baptist, he says, come and see. I feel like those are the things, that's what we should tell people. Come and see. 
Because God wants people to come to him. I said this earlier, there's no reason we should be far from God. We feel far from God. We feel like we're like so distant from this love and this. Here's the deal. God's love to us is unconditional. And somehow as a church, we've gotten it wrong. Not just as related. I mean, the, the church all over the world, we've gotten it wrong. I grew up with people who had no, no, no concern for the unconditional love of God. God is good. We have some work to do. We have some work to do to try and love people the way that God loved us. <clears throat> to not get to a place where God's love is good for us, but, you know, everybody else has to work. they gotta, they got to get their act together. How sad is that? Jesus says, my father sent me to tell you that he loves you, and I love you. And you can come. I will point this out, though, that judging her didn't set her free. Shaming her and telling her who she was and what she deserved and didn't deserve and that she was unwelcome, those are the things that actually set her free. It was the unconditional love of God that set her free. There are people in this city, maybe in this room, who are wandering around in what I would describe as darkness. They don't know the love of God. They don't know what it means to be in a family that's loving and desperately cares about them. But here's what I do think. I think if we can make that extra effort to love people the way that God loves them, they'll walk past the judgmental reputation of the church. They'll walk through a room of people to get to someone who actually loves them. Whether it's someone in your family, someone that you work with, your neighbor, maybe it's a husband or a wife. There are people literally everywhere that are desperate for the love of God. The Bible says that the harvest is great. I don't think there's any lack of people who need God. There's just a lack of people who are willing to step up and say, okay, I'll do what God wants me to do. I'll be that one. I'll try to love people unconditionally. Like we all fail. We all fall short. None of us are good enough. But we got to try. And so again, I'll say, Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus invites the people others reject. Whether you filed bankruptcy, whether you got the right clothes on, whether you have been to the right school or you're with the right group of people or whether you have the right job or the right family or the right house or the right car or the right look or the right smell. God says, come. Jesus says, come all who are weary and burdened. So that's my message to you today. And when you come, don't come alone. Like when you come and you get in that circle and find the love of God and begin to love on other people, the next person comes, let's bring in another and another and another and not close the circle. It's not us four and no more. It's never, it's never to the point where, okay, God can never love you like he loves me. When you truly start to realize who God is and how much he loves us, guys, I got to tell you, I know the thoughts in my own head. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. And I can never add up. I can never measure up to God's love. And I never want to be so prideful that I think of myself as worthy and other people as unworthy. Truth is, we're all unworthy. I grew up singing the song, There's 
still room at the cross. There's room at the cross. And though millions will come, there's still room for one. Like there's still room at the cross today. Maybe you've stood on the outside, maybe like that woman at the house or that woman hearing Jesus preach. I imagine she listened to him preach from a distance or at the back of the crowd because she was an outcast. Maybe you felt like an outcast. Maybe you felt like the one at the edge of the crowd just trying to figure out, like, what is this about? I'd like to pray with you today, and I want to pray for those people who are far from God. Those people that we all know that need to know God, and that we might be able to carry the unconditional love that Jesus showed, and we might be able to give it to the world around us. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just pray right now that you would help us to have your heart for this world and your heart for people, God. That you might use us as your hands and your feet to impact the world around us, to bring people who are far from you so near to you, God. That they might know you and love you the way that we do. That, we, that they might know your love. And they might have peace that surpasses all understanding despite the lives they've lived, despite the shame, despite the things that they've done, things that we've all done. That we might compel them to come and know you in Jesus' name. And now for those of, of you in the room that you may be saying, I am that one. I, I, don't, I don't know who God is. If my life was over today, I don't know what would happen to my spirit. I don't know. I don't know what eternity looks like. If you're that one that you feel like you're far from God but you want to be close to God, we're going to say a prayer together. And I want to invite you to join me in that prayer and invite Jesus to be your savior. And if you've never said that prayer before, if you if you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your savior, to come into your life, to join that family that I've been talking about, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So with every head bowed, nobody looking around, if you're saying, I want to be included in that prayer, I want you to raise your hand when I count to three. If that's you and, you and you're saying, I want to be included in that prayer, I don't want to live another day not knowing what my eternity looks like. Being on the outside, looking in, trying to figure out what God's about. Here, here's my promise to you. You can know it today. You can know God's love like you've never known it before. And it's as simple as a, as a prayer saying, God, I give you my life. So when I count to three, I want you to just, I'm not going to ask you to come forward or stand up. That's my promise to you. I just want you to raise your hand with nobody looking around and say, include me in that prayer on the count of three. One, two, three. Right now, just raise your hand up. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Wow. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Let's all pray it together. Nobody prays it alone. Father God, today I give you my life. I don't want to be on my own anymore. I don't want to be far away from you, God. I want to be near you. I want to be in your presence. So today I invite you to come into my heart. Take over my life. Forgive me of my sin. And make me whole. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for tuning in to our podcast this week. We would love to meet you sometime. You can get all the details at www.relatecommunity.com. Pastor Sean and I are praying for you, and we're speaking life over you, and we know that your best days are ahead. See you soon.